Uh, I don't know how many of you, like, some, some of that sounded like nervous laughter because you're like, yeah, I've been there, I've had that experience before in my job, and, and some of that was like, ooh, uh, flashbacks that I, I didn't necessarily want. But uh, there's a reason why over the next few weeks we're going to be talking about a theology of work. And when I say that, it's really just a short-form way of saying that our work not only matters to God, it's a meaningful part of our relationship with Him. And I hope that over the next few weeks, that as we talk about this, that, that even if you've had this type of experience where you feel like, uh, not only do I not really feel like my work is very meaningful, but I'm not really thrilled about my job, uh, that you can see that how God thinks about it and his original intent for us in our work uh, brings us to a place where uh, not only can we be okay <laughs> with, with our job and the fact that we, we have to have one, but uh, that's an important part of, uh, of who we are and alongside of our relationship with God. It's estimated that we spend about a third of our lives working. That it's only rivaled by sleep. Like sleep is the only thing that we do more than working. And so if you think about your working lives or your working week and the typical work week and what that's like for us, you think about, oh, the average person gets about eight hours of sleep per night. And I know like when I talk about averages, everybody's like, yeah, but I'm the exception. I only get like three or something like that. Well, I don't know what to say about that, but that's, I, I can't even fathom that. But the average person gets eight hours of sleep, and then you think about your typical nine-to-five job, or eight-to-five, or whatever it is, depending on how lunch is handled and that kind of thing, your breaks, and you think about the time spent in there, and then, then you've got some leisure time in, in the afternoon. But really think about the time that you spend in your job. It's not just the eight hours. It's also the commute. It's also all the other chores that you have in your life, the things that you have to do when you get home, whether it's cooking or it's mowing the lawn or all those things. You think about that. When you think about the, you know, nearly six hours of video that people are watching these days. Did you, I, like last time I looked at that stat, it was four hours of TV that the average person was watching. Now it's up to like six hours of video throughout the day which is just, just nuts. And so you, it gives us somewhere around 10 or so hours on average that we actually spend doing work stuff, whether it's the thing that you get paid for or it's the stuff that you have to do to upkeep your car, your lawn, what, whatever it is. And depending about how you feel about your work currently, chances are you're not really thrilled by the time that you spend doing your work. There's a reason why the phrase sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays exists or that everyone's working for the weekend is because a lot of people are not really happy with their jobs. Now, there might be like a degree of satisfaction for a lot of people with the fact that they have something that has a paycheck. Like, I can get an amen for that, I think. Like, yes, we're thankful for that. We're satisfied about that. That doesn't mean that the majority of people are happy with their careers. Uh, in fact, there's a global survey done by Gallup uh, asking people anonymously, hey, how do you feel about th your job? And 85% of people around the globe are unhappy with, with their jobs. That, that's a lot. And it, and it doesn't get better, at least according to one Stanford professor who, through his research, suggests that one of the issues with the United States of America workplace it causes it to be the fifth leading cause of death. So if you ever thought, man, this job is killing me, you, according to at least one professor, you might actually be right. That might be, that might be the case. The place that we're spending the bulk amount of our peak time in life isn't necessarily the happiest for us. And the incentives, like a paycheck or health insurance or good 401, 401, see, I can't say that because I don't know what that is. But a 401k, 
or paid time off rarely overcome career dissatisfaction, which stinks because some of us picked our career based on the incentives. It can be even more dissatisfying when it's not clear how you're being incentivized, like not all of us have a typical job, or we're not employed with a paycheck, we're a student, or we're retired, or we're a homemaker, or we're between jobs, or we've been laid off, or we're on disability, or we're volunteering, but whatever scenario we find ourselves in, there is work for us to do, and it's meaningful. But the way that, even the way that we're culturally conditioned to ask and think about our work causes problems if the scenario we're in right now isn't necessarily picture perfect. Like think about how you get into a conversation of work with a regular person. You ask the question, what do you do? And that question in and of itself isn't a bad question. Like it's good to be curious and to find out more about someone. Uh, It's a powerful way to connect. But the important thing to remember is that our worth is not contingent upon the answer to that question. And that's where a lot of people get messed up and where they get tied into is they think that what they do for a living is what causes them to have worth in their life. The most important question, or at least the follow-up question that maybe we should be asking and really care about the answer to is why do we do what we do? Why do you do what you do? It helps us get to the root of how we view and think about our worth and the relation, our work and our relationship that it has between us and God. God created us for a relationship with him, and an overwhelming percentage of our time in that relationship happens as we're working. We're created to work, and the work that God does in us and gives to us is a good gift. And so we're going to look all the way at the beginning in Scripture at Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start there, and we're going to see this progression of work and what God originally intended for it to be, and how it got messed up, and what we can do about it. So in Genesis chapter 1, we're going to start, and we're going to start in the very first verse, and it simply says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The way that all of this starts is that God shapes and forms, he works to create all of this. And so all of this starts with work. From the beginning, God has been working, and one of the common threads throughout the Bible is that he continues to do so. And so work is a part of the character and nature of who God is, and because we're made in his image, it's a reflection of who we are as well. Even Jesus says in John chapter 5, as he's talking to these religious leaders that are upset because he healed somebody on the Sabbath, he says, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And God remains continually involved, and he invites us into his work alongside of him. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so the Lord God, back uh, further down in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, and take care of it. God created us, he created humankind with work in mind. One of the very different things, one of the marked differences between creation account in Genesis and other creation myths that you might know about or read about or or study is, is that God creates us in a different way for a different purpose in our work than anybody else does. There's a very unique thing here that God does. Because every other creation myth that you read and that you study, the gods create humankind to do all the stuff they don't want to do. To be subservient, to, to 
be playthings for them to kind of mess with and, and pull pranks on, you know, those kinds of things, and to do all these menial tasks and labor that they really don't want to have to be bothered with anymore after the gods had created the earth. But, but God, the creator, does something very different with us. He doesn't create us to simply just be there and do all the things that he wants us, he doesn't want to do. He creates us to be partners with him in his creation. The first task that God ever gives Adam was to name the animals. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. That's kind of like after having your child, um, letting someone you just met name them for you. Like, that's not, that's not a typical thing that people do. And, and it's not like God didn't have the creativity to be able to name things the way that he wanted to be able to name them. And I don't know, like, I don't know if maybe God would have picked birds for fish, you know, and Adam picked fish for birds, you, you know, the, those kinds of things. And if, if that's kind of, uh, you know, a little messed up. But, but he brought Adam and invited him into a very significant part and role, even though he didn't deserve it, even though he wasn't the one who put the time and effort into forming and fashioning these things, to partner alongside of him. God created us to work alongside of him in our relationship with him. He creates us with work in mind as a gift of meaningful and purposeful relationship with him. And I know from experience that our jobs don't always feel like that. They don't always reflect that. Part of that reason is because at one point we decided, and by we I'm talking about humankind, decided to abdicate from that partnership and that working alongside that God intended for us all along. Further down in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, as God is having to punish Adam and Eve because they sinned by eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, to Adam, he says, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and through painful toil you will eat food from it from all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. And for dust you are, and to dust you will return. That's why it seems like having a job can be both a blessing and a curse. It's because it is. Originally, God intended it simply to be a blessing, simply for it to be a good gift. But the way that we mess things up and the way that sin breaks things causes it to be cursed as well. So what originally started off as a gift can now feel like a punishment or a necessary evil. But it does matter to recognize the pattern here or the sequence of events, the timeline, to recognize what's what. Work itself is a gift. And I know some of you are like, I'm not convinced that that's possible, but it, it really can be a gift. That was the original intent for us. It's all the junk that comes along with broken humanity that makes it feel like it's a curse. And the danger is when we make our work itself the gift giver. When it's hard, when we don't feel the dignity we desire, we have the, or have the fruit born out of it that we want, it can seem like work itself is the problem, but it's not. I think the greatest issue for us, and maybe when we go looking for a job, it's like, what's the benefits, what's the, what's the paycheck, and all that kind of stuff. But the greatest issue for, me, for work is really meaning and purposefulness. 
That's the thing that draws us back into God's original intent for us in our jobs, what we do. The curse is wrapped up in the meaninglessness we have to deal with because of sin. Work was a part of paradise, though. That, that came before the fall. So recapturing the meaningfulness that God always intended it to have in the cycle of work and rest that is built into humanity helps us to differentiate between the gift and the consequence. So if you were to continue reading through Scripture and throughout the Old Testament, you would see a pattern that started to emerge after the curse, after Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, and how people relate to God from that point forward. Because you know and you see this pattern that people end up turning away from God, they don't believe in Him the way that they're supposed to, and God continually calls them back to themselves. Um, but the big thing that continues to draw people away and distract them from God is idolatry. And so you can look through and see all kinds of different gods that people believed in for all kinds of different reasons. One of the popular gods in the Old Testament mentioned is Baal, or Baal, if you're going to pronounce it um, like in, in Hebrew. Uh, but this name is used to reference a number of iterations of interrelated gods. But uh, Baal, at least in the popular form, is a god of fertility and a god of weather. In particular, a god of rain, because Baal for a very agriculturally based society, Baal was worshipped because food came from the ground and you needed rain for food. And so when there wasn't enough rain through the summer months and all that kind of stuff, you would, you would focus your attention on whatever you thought could get that rain to come. And you start to see kind of over time how the connection of the byproduct of work, like we need food to survive, rather than meaning God gave work to be with him in our endeavor, took a greater position to the point where human beings were bowing down to the sun and to the rain and to dirt. Because we get off track when we forget why we're doing what we're doing. In the modern workforce, the gods are different, the idols remain, however, money, power, even retirement, authority, an impressive career, independence, exclusivity, and more all serve as placeholders for something worthwhile. It's why the answer to why we do what we do is more important than being able to impress someone with the answer of what we do. I really like this definition from Tim Keller on what work is. He says, work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. And not just any work accomplishes this. There are some ways of working and types of work that don't count as godly stewardship of creation and in consideration of our fellow man. For example, you're not going to be able to connect a meth lab to a meaningful expression of work in your life. It's just not, like, even if it's in a Winnebago, it's just not going to happen. However, for those things that are meaningful expression of God's gift of work, there, there are none that are insignificant for its position in God's kingdom. In other words, the way that we help people thrive and flourish primarily is by pointing them that, to the one that continues to work on their behalf through how we approach our work, whatever it may be, whether we're blue-collar or white-collar, whether we're a homemaker or we're an executive, whether we're a student or a starving artist, whether we're retired or making minimum wage. The way in which we use the abilities and, God's, and gifts God has given us and cultivate relationships within that work points us and points others to a higher purpose and meaning for our effort. Some of, uh, let me give you an example. Some of you know that I like Chick-fil-A. Anybody with me at all on that? Just a little bit? Okay. 
like Chick-fil-A, and, um, and I like Chick-fil-A, and while I really do enjoy their food, even if Popeyes actually did have a better chicken sandwich, and I'm not conv- some of you have been on the internet over the past couple weeks, I can tell, uh, even if Popeyes really did have a better chicken sandwich, like, I don't care, and I'm not going to bother to find out, because as much as I like their food, and, um, you know, the peach milkshake that comes out in the summer, I really, I really enjoy that. That's really good. You guys nuggets or a shrimps people? Nuggets? How many nuggets? Nuggets? Strips? All right, cool. No perfect people allowed, so we're, we're, we're good. <laughs> but here, here's the, re- the reason I like Chick-fil-A so much is not just because of their chicken, and it has nothing to do with, like, Christian chicken or the fact that I'm a pastor, and it's not like this secret love of Christian instrumental music, you know, that, that I just like to hear uh, while I'm there. Um, it's how I'm treated. I mean, that, that really is the difference for me, like going to another chicken place or that kind of, because I, listen, I like fried chicken. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. Like in all of its forms, I enjoy it. But the reason why I would choose to go to Chick-fil-A, even if Popeye's is right there and has a better chicken sandwich right next to him, is because of how I'm treated. Because I know that when I go in there, uh, there's going to be some good customer service. That when I say thank you, someone's going to say, my place. See, we're like, we've been through Chick-fil-A training, obviously. Um, and it's shocking to me. I don't know if you've had this experience, but there have been a couple times where I've gone in Chick-fil-A and I've said thank you. And the person has not said my pleasure. And I'm like, when, when that happens, at least for me, I feel like I haven't actually been to Chick-fil-A. So I leave, I come back in, another order. No, I don't, I don't, I don't actually do that, but I, I may do that now, uh, at, now that I think about it. I, I don't feel like I've been there because it's, it's more about like how, how they treat you as a customer, at least for me, that's one of the reasons I enjoy going there. And so like the way we think about our work, the way that we approach about and, and finding our meaning, not necessarily in the byproduct of our work or the incentives, the way that we're incentivized to do our work and all that kind of thing, but that there's a, there's a greater meaning that's intrinsic because of how God creates us in his own image, that he's a creator, that he is a worker. I mean, that that causes us to approach things in a different way. And that different way causes us to change people's life experience as a result of that. With the right understanding and commitment, our work can make an important impact on the world. And even though in the beginning the original design for work was messed up, God is still working to redeem that in us. Paul points this out in his letter to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as he describes how the resurrection of Jesus redeems all things. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, and as the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. And what Paul is doing is he's, he's making this comparison and contrast between Adam, the first man, and Jesus, the last, the first, fully human man that changes everything. Who redeems us and reconciles us to him through, through, through his resurrection. And that includes our work includes how we think about our efforts in this life. They're brought significance through the resurrection of Jesus because when our efforts are directed toward the life to come, they have an eternal impact. 
our work doesn't stop here. It doesn't stop with our death and then you know, somebody else is, is recruited or hired to re, you know, replace us. It doesn't stop there when we direct our efforts toward the meaningfulness of life that God gives us. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, later in the chapter, Paul says this. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain. It's not empty. It's not devoid of truth. And it's not without a gift, is what Paul is saying. And Paul is specifically talking about Christian ministry, but for the Christ follower, there isn't a distinction between our work and our Christian ministry. And we'll talk more about that over the next few weeks. But the work that God gives us is a good gift that's meant to help us love and serve with meaning. And that's why he gives us it. That's why he invites us into it and how we live out our faith in everything that we do. God always intended for the relationship between work and blessing or provision. It's not just about the blessing and provision. It's about us being workers with God in his purpose for all creation. And when we approach our work to that end, we produce dignity and worth and value for our coworkers, for our customers, for our teachers, our families, our students, whatever, whoever it may be. Our Sundays are, made, are meant to change how we live out our Mondays. And so what I want you to do, I, I just want to encourage you to do this, this this week, and it would be great preparation for our next sermon uh, next Sunday as we talk about calling, but I'd love for you to do two things. The first thing is I'd love for you to just carve out maybe one hour away from Netflix if you can. I know that that sounds like a lot. I know that sounds like a lot. Okay, maybe while you have Netflix on. And, and write down the question, why do I do what I do? And spend some time in prayer, spend some time in contemplation, have your Bible open in front of you, and work through that from an understanding of how work reflects the character and nature of God, that it's a good gift that gives us purpose and meaning. And what you find, it may find is that what you're doing now is more meaningful than what you ever currently or currently believe it, ever did or currently believe it to be. Because I think you'll be able to start seeing some connections, and, and maybe you, you need some help with that, and I'd be happy to, to be that person, or somebody who's sitting next to you is happy to be that person to help you see how valuable and how meaningful your work is with our relationship with God and to each other. And the second thing is, is simply, I, I just want to encourage you, challenge you really, to look at someone else in your life and ask them that question. Why do you do what you do? Ask someone who you value their work, you value their job, you value how they approach things, and ask them that question and see, and see what they say. If you have to, press a little bit deeper um, than an answer that might reflect a, you know, a byproduct of their job. It's like, well, because it pays well. You know, and kind of press in, into that. Maybe somebody you know fairly well to be able to do that. And you may discover a theme that connects them to how God is working in and through their life and how our work connects us to each other in ways that helps us to thrive and flourish and is a part of that purpose and meaning that God wants to give us through our work. Let's pray together. God, um, there are a lot of things in our life that need to be redeemed. Work is one of them. And the way that many of us I know have had experiences in our job, um, that in our current workplace or maybe in a past one or maybe in a future one 
things are not set up necessarily in an ideal fashion uh, for us, and so that becomes more pressing for us a lot of times than understanding what our work is meant to actually accomplish in our lives. And so, God, I, I ask that over the next few weeks as we move through the sermon series, as we move through Scripture and see how you talk about work, what your original intent for that is in our lives, that, that you would help us to see what we do in a different light, that we would place it in a different category, that it wouldn't necessarily be something that we do in addition to uh, our faith, but that is intertwined and intermingled with that, and that you bless us through that when we see it that way. God, we ask that as we prepare right now for a time of being totally focused on you as a community and, and as a body of believers and sharing in communion together, that you would remind us of, of the great work uh, that you started at creation and continue to do through the resurrection of your son, Jesus, and that we might be partners with you in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Like we do every week at Velocity, we're going to share in this time of, of communion together.